20 years ago was special, you know, when you do stuff, when you win, you know, at the uh, at the elite level or if you win the championship, I truly believe that you're, you'll be honored 20 years from now, and I'm hoping that's what this team does tonight. That pick six right there was, I was coming for it. I wanted it so much going into this game to show myself that like this is a statement game for us and show that like we're not just like a team who plays a lot of bums. Like we're here, to, we're here for a ring and we, we want to get up there. It just shows that we, we, we can compete. We, ain't, we suppose we ain't playing nobody, but you know, scorers with the scorers. You know what I'm saying? I told them they didn't win the game tonight. They won the game during the week of practice, during the summer in the weight room, and during all the work they put in. They're a hard, hard-working group of kids. They play hard. Shelton's got a great team. I think we have a great team. And so we got a great high school football game. And welcome once again to the Meat Grinder, your weekly dose of high school football in Connecticut. And of course, I am your host, Sean Patrick Bowley. With me, as always, is the great Peter Paglaga. Pete, what's up? Nothing, just getting over my dress down on Friday night from uh, West Haven assistant coach Tom Unger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gave you a little business there. At the top of the show, you heard a little bit from that. The scene at West Haven's Ken Strong Stadium, where the Westies, were they number five, Pete? Yep, number five. They were number five, five last five week. Westies five Westies yep. defeat Shelton 34 to 28 in an, a great game. The stars were out at Ken Strong Stadium as the Westies, they go to 6-0 for the first time since 2017. The Westies are back, baby. You heard a little bit from Avian Evans, who had a fumble recovery in the second half, and then got things going for the West for the Westies with a 72-yard interception return touchdown with seconds to go in the first half. A huge swing touchdown to get that game in West Haven's favor. You heard a little bit from DeMarco Eddy, who got things rolling with a 40-yard touchdown pass from Nick Conlin. And of course, we heard a little bit from Rich Boucher, who, as we know, Rich, we've heard about Rich's story. He's He's been battling cancer all year long. And, uh, you know, clearly he, he's been affected by it, still doing chemo treatments. And uh, he said this team has really kind of lifted his spirits and, you know, kind of give him a purpose. He just loves these kids and they kind of pay the coach back, you know. And the dream season continues on uh, for, for West Haven in a great game. You know, uh, it's an old school SEC battle. It was awesome. And, of course, at the end there, you heard from the defensive coordinator, Tom Unger, giving Pete the business. Uh, at the end of that game, and uh, well, what can I say, Pete? It was all's fair in high school football in Pickums. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, they certainly were letting you have it. I had kids coming up to me. Thanks for picking us. You were the only one. I wasn't the only one, but you know, there was certainly I was certainly the minority in that pick. But uh, just a great moment for for West Haven and a pretty good weekend of high school football. Pete, you were up at Sewing at Holy Cross. Um, you were over at uh, the other night. You were at uh, Cheshire. Cheshire, excuse me. You were at Greenwich versus Trumbull. You know, I was up checking out our guys from Valley Regional Line. We'll talk a little bit about them. Joining us a little bit later will be the coach of the number 10 North Haven Nighthawks, Tony Sagnella. We got a mulligan from last year's botched interview. 
a great interview we had with him. We had another good one this this time. Uh, we we're making amends. We brought uh, Coach Sags on. It's a long interview. Hope you can stick around for a little bit or at least fast forward. Stick around for the whole thing. There's lots of people. It's he did a great job with it. Awesome interview. It's really, if you never met Coach Sagnello, which I find it hard to believe if you're in the high school football circle, you haven't met him, but he is one of the best. He's just a really, really great coach to talk to. Stories, history. I mean, he knows almost everything, I would imagine. Uh, and we even talked a little bit of his uh, time in the NFL. I know I'm years late after the uh, the 30 for 30 on the 1987 Reds. Uh, I know I'm a couple of years late on the uh, 1987, the documentary on the 1987 uh, strike season. Um, so I was able to like talk to him about that because I actually just watched that a couple of weeks ago and I was good, like, oh huh? my God. I, oh, it was awesome. But I was like, oh my God, I actually have to ask him questions now because like, I, I saw it and he's like a main part of it. So it was really cool to get to talk to him about that. And I know it's a really hard subject for him to talk about uh, and understandably so, but it was really nice that, you know, he was able to answer those questions. Yeah. Uh, I think what those guys, him and the rest of the replacement players um, from the 87 strike season, you know, I think they got a little bit of closure, for, especially from that documentary that really kind of brought things full circle for them. They were kind of welcomed back or welcomed, I shouldn't say back, welcomed yeah. into the Redskins fold there. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's been, like I said, he's been everywhere. He's been a ha- he's from Hamden, uh, played at Rutgers, um, and then he you know started at North Brantford as a head coach later on, and then he became the coach of uh, North Haven. First Indians, now the Nighthawks. They were, were at state championship game once. Didn't quite make it there, but what a game that was. Um, so, well, he'll be on a little bit later. But, uh, you know, going back to West Haven, Pete, you know, it was just a really nostalgic night uh, for everybody there because, you know, it, it. believe it or not, for those of you, especially for someone like me, who got my start covering West Haven as the old city news, which is, doesn't even exist anymore. Um, but uh, my, one of my first football championships that I ever covered where I was I was covering the team was West Haven's 2002 state championship game. And I didn't even know they were all going to be there until I got to the stadium. I kind of walked around and all of a sudden, all the memories came flooding back. And then there they all were a little bit older, a little bit wiser, you know, but they're unmistakably the same guys. You had Tommy DeMauro, uh, the great receiver who scored two touchdowns in that amazing state championship game over John Sullivan and Greenwich. Um, 20 to 13 was the final over at the over at Kennedy Stadium in Bridgeport. So Tommy DeMauro was there. He was the one who organized this 20 years later. Uh, you saw his quarterback, Derek Amato, was there. You saw your boy, Desmond Lyman, the Bassett coach, who didn't have a great uh, what a great Thursday night. His team lost to Weaver, but uh, he was there looking jovial. Little, still a little mad when I was interviewing the hero of that game, the, the guy who scored the winning touchdown with with just 30.9 seconds left, that would be Phil Banks, the fullback, scored on a, what was it? It was like a 50-yard run uh, on a, it was like fourth and one. Uh, just an amazing play, and it was West Haven's first championship in uh, 13 years at the time, and they haven't won one six. It's been 20 years now, but, uh, you know, he looks the same. Uh, we I talked to all those guys, and then, and then some of the coaches, obviously Eddie McCarthy was there. Um, he goes all the West Haven games yeah. and, you know, still there. And Bert Saclari, who was that was his last game. Bert was a great, you know, D, defensive defensive line coach, just fire and brimstone guy. And he looks the same as he did 20 years ago, man. I even saw Cliff Bougie, the the, the D coordinator, who's just a genius. And, uh, you know, obviously we saw uh, just a lot of those guys there. It was great to see all of them. And uh, 
And, uh, well, here's just a few moments from that game and uh, seeing all those guys who won that great championship. It's been amazing. I mean, to be honest, like, uh, we started this as just, like, for us to get together, you know, personally, and then the, the school took it upon themselves to honor us, which is, you know, a, a tremendous honor in general. We were just so appreciative. It's been amazing. Um, just coming back to the field, like, the minute I touched it, the memories, everything, the energy, you just feel it. It's been a special group. Um, that was, I, I hadn't seen in any of the other championship teams. Not that the, the other championship teams didn't have fight, but these guys, there was no gimme. There weren't any games that were given to them. They had a fight all the way through. And uh, I, I uh, and the, the quality of kid, the character within the kid, was outstanding, just outstanding. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I remember the fear I had catching from me. Yeah. Two touchdown passes. This guy right here. Right here. Right. Uh, to be honest, I uh, I think I remember the fear going into the game. I just remember being uh, nervous and had had a ton of anxiety. What do you remember about your TV? What's the thing you remember most about it? Oh man, I just remember the tackle that was broken. Say they, you know, they find out every Friday night. How do you, the young guys, are doing? I'm sorry, I'm losing. It. I lost it. But uh, I like to think we're really a program. There's a lot of great, great people going through. And I'm sorry, I'm choking right now. That was in order. That was Tommy DeMauro. Uh, that was Phil Banks. And then, you know, then you talked a little bit to uh, Bert Saclari. And then, you know, Eddie McCarthy got a little emotional talking about some of the guys and what they meant to him. And, you know, just a great, great team. It was an amazing team, Pete. Uh, you know, a little before your time, obviously. A little and, bit. You know, a little bit. But, you know, I've heard the stories and, uh, you know, just how you walk into Ken Strong, the way it's set up now, they have all those, uh, they have like that Hall of Fame kind of walkway yep. where they have all the, the things. And that's kind of cool that they were able to come back and have kind of like a little reunion at the game while the team is playing so well. Uh, I mean, West Haven 6-0. and I mean, I remember in 2016 when they went 10-0. And uh, I think I voted them number one in the final. I think like the, the poll going into the the postseason, I think I was the only one who voted them number one. So I didn't always dislike West Haven. Um, but uh, then they lost in the first round to Ridgefield. But, you know, it feels like when West Haven's playing well, like there's just like a different like aura kind of around yeah. high school football. And like, you know, West Haven's one of those places when Ken Strong is has an important game, it gets crazy, it gets popping. It's the place to be. Um, so that's just great for, for obviously for West Haven, but also for, you know, overall high school football. Cause I remember I did a story a couple of years, a story, a list. It's like 10 best places to watch a high school football game. And Ken Strong was on the list. And I remember talking to Andy Guion, the Xavier coach. And he told me, he goes, Pete, the first time I coached at Ken Strong, he's like, 
it was so cool because when you coach a Ken Strong, it's an important game. And I was like, yeah, that's really cool. So that's kind of like that thing. I Every time I go to a West Haven game or I go to Ken Strong, I'm like, this game means something. And uh, it's nice that it means something now for the West Haven program as well because they are 6-0 and and they've kind of battled back from those down years. There were, uh, yeah, no, hundred percent. I think the message by this for this team, Tommy tomorrow spoke about it. For this team was, we want to project our experience onto this team. This team has a chance. It was a time. It was still they were up twenty-two to eight at halftime over Shelton. And at the time, they like they were like, we hope they win because we want to do a couple things here. We want to, you know, tell them how proud we are of them. And they're going to carry on the legacy and we want this team to win not only for you know for the school and for their pride and everything but for rich Boucher, who was an assistant coach on that team as well now he's the head coach and he's just in the fight of his life for, with a, another round of cancer and um you know and and i think tommy had a had a had a sign helmet for the whole 2002 team to give to uh rich Boche if they won thankfully they did win it got a little nail it was a little bit of nail biter at the end there but you know, uh, West Haven, uh, you know, survived a, a pretty game effort by Shelton. Shelton just kind of fell apart in the in the first half a little bit. Um, you know, the touch pickoff, the pick six that went 72 yards. He was zipping through everybody. Uh, that was a tough one to get. But they fought back. They're going to be very good. You know, I spoke about it in a column this week. We're going to get into it a little bit later. But Shelton is far from done. Like, the two losses, maybe if this was last year, they'd be on life support. But... They're an L. It's not. They're not quite out of the woods yet. I think another win will be fine or two. Um, but uh, you know, I, I wrote about it in the column. It just didn't. This. The, it was a great game. It was old SEC school game. There were a lot of you know, lots of like just grunts and you know, just really just hard hits and and just you know, strength versus strength. Who had a better off season? Uh, kind of stuff. And uh, you know, they were very. It was a very even match. But the stakes just didn't. You know, wasn't like. At, at, at West Haven's in tier two of the SEC, and, and even uh, Mike DeFelice, the Shelton coach, was talking about it. We still can win the SEC tier one. It just feels weird. I don't know. I mean, again, we've mentioned a billion times here. West Haven and Ham, I still think they should be playing up. I don't think there should be a tier two. There should be a, it should be like the old days. I don't know if I like this whole thing. It's We'll get into that later. But, you know, other than that, though, that all, when you tune all that out, it was an old school SEC game, uh, and it was just awesome. So with that said, let's take a look at the top 10 poll. And as we uh, move on here, it was an interesting week as we kind of grind our way towards the uh, the season finale here, the last month of the season. Uh, number one is Southington, 6-0. and uh, The Blue Knights took out uh, Windsor, 27-20. to uh, 20, And uh, they were up 14-0 early, and as we expected, but they need to hang on for dear life against my guy right there, Chili White. They could they contained him, but they couldn't stop him. At the end, he has a kickoff return touchdown and gets him within seven points with 39 seconds left. But Southern recovers the onside kick to stay unbeaten, uh, with just too many mistakes for Windsor, who now fall to three and three in a really tough class. M. I don't know if they're gonna make it. It's a like you mentioned, it's a weird, weird field. But we'll get to that in a second. But uh, just a quick note on that: Evan Anderson, who again we mentioned him last week, the hero of the Greenwich game. His father died. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and then we just learned that he is out for the year with a leg injury. Uh, that's a tough, tough break for the uh, for the Blue Knights. Uh, I mean, that's tough. Yeah, the loss of Anderson is uh, tough for the Blue Knights, but Drury's got that next man up mentality. They got guys who are going to step up, play for him, play for the program. So 
it's a big loss, but um, I think Southington, they just have another guy ready. <laughs> they have they have Lincoln Cardello still. He's, yeah. He's still, there too. <laughs> still have Lincoln Cardello. <laughs> uh, number two is New Canaan, which crushed Wilton 45 nothing, and yet another defensive effort. Tucker Milligan turned at the interception 99 yards, which is the most you can have in high school. 99 yards to kick start the victory. They finally get a big game that we can all pay attention to. St. Joseph on Friday night. That should be great. Number three, Maloney. They ripped up on Bristol Central. They get Connored this week. Uh, and number four, Greenwich, which pretty much took care of Trumbull 37 to 24 in a surprisingly OM game, Pete. You weren't down there on a Thursday night. They played Friday night the week before. Now it's Thursday night. Uh, but lots of stars kind of on both sides missing from that game, huh? Yeah, they're really, uh, I think. I think Trumbull was missing something like five starters or five guys who contribute. Uh, Granite was missing Charlie Dixon. They're one of their top wide receivers. Um, I mean, it was a high scoring game on paper, but it was very blah. Like you texted me. You're like, oh, Granite's running away with it. I'm like, maybe, but like, it doesn't feel like it. Like it was just a weird feeling game. Maybe it's because it was Thursday. Um, but, you know, Trumbull can score, but it's like I said last week, like they need to figure out this defense if they're going to want to win games against good teams because you can't give up, 30, you know, 43 to Massick, 39 to Staples, 36 to Staples, and 37 to Greenwich. It's not going to cut it. And they could score with the best of them, but you can't give up over 35 points against a quality opponent every time. The good news for Trumbull, Pete, is that they're probably still going to get in the Class Double Tournament. So, I mean, I wouldn't worry too much there, but definitely kind of shore up that defense. As for Greenwich, well, you know, on Saturday, they go all the way over to their pals to see their pals from Darien, which has a chance to kind of get back into the good graces uh, of the pollsters and the limelight. They need this win to kind of stay in the hunt for a Class L Tournament berth. Although, I don't think they're that going to be in that big of trouble, but uh, that's still a pretty big game in the FCAC on Saturday afternoon over in Darien. Number five is West Haven. They play Sheehan next week. And the, the bad news for the Westies coming out of the Shelton game is, is that Jazir Massey, their top running back, who actually scored a touchdown in the West Haven game, he actually broke his leg. He is done for the year. So they're going to – they have lots of weapons there. So it's going to have to be a next man up mentality there for West Haven. But So uh, Sheehan gets West Haven after getting Hamden. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It, this all makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, we saw that on uh, Friday. Uh, Hamden was beaten up on Sheehan, the largest SEC school versus the smallest SEC school. You saw a lot of complaints uh, about some of the injuries that were suffered by the Sheehan players there. I think it's time to kind of dump this thing, uh, SEC. I think it's time to, you know, I think, you know, Sheehan could be a fine tier three school or in this case, a tier two school getting rid of tier two instead of having just gold go back to the old school two divisions i think that, that this other thing is just over um but uh, anyway number six is saint joseph which surprise surprise smothered ridgefield's offense at a 27 to zero shot i expect a little bit more out of ridgefield in this one but i was shocked p i guess saint joseph's defense is the truth yeah they played really well i was there for the first two quarters uh they played really well uh, but Riley Jordan, it's nice to see him going. You know, Ridgefield tried to kind of keep the ball on the ground. They didn't want, you know, Hutch beating them and uh, sing well with his arm. But Riley Jordan had himself a day, three touchdown runs. Uh, he was really good last year, so it's nice seeing him kind of come into the limelight, you know, 
perfect time for St. Joe's to start getting a major contribution from Riley Jordan. Yeah, he was a little bit absent in that Greenwich game. They kind of took to the air pretty early. He kind of got out of it a bit, and there were some mistakes he made that I know Joe wasn't happy with him about. But good to see uh, him have a nice bounce-back game in a pretty big one. I mean, St. Joe, they're going to the class-out playoffs. Uh, they get New Canaan this week. I mean, does it ever end for St. Joe's? Jeez. They seem to get a big team every single week. In the yeah, they're on they're on the Pickums board, I think, six out of seven weeks. Or it's, five out of seven. One was a bye. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it well, is what? That's, that new Canaan defense, though, yeah, has allowed be- 21 points all year. And the flip side, last week, the new Canaan defense scored three touchdowns. So they have scored in one game. They have scored the same amount of touchdowns that they've allowed all season. Yeah. New Canaan, all of a sudden, the, the, the school of Drew Pine, all of a sudden, like, you know, turning back, re, returning to the school of Zach Allen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as far as their defense. Their defense the last couple of years has been amazing. The well, offense... Chris Silvestri is probably one of the best assistant coaches in the state and could be a head coach anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he's been in the running for a few spots there, but. You know, maybe uh, New Canaan is where he belongs. Number seven is Hamden. We just mentioned whipped up on Sheehan, 41-14. Uh, Sonia moves to 6-0. Pete, you were up there at Municipal Stadium. Uh, we saw Holy Cross. We thought they had a shot. And sure enough, they were right in this game. But seems like Sonia kind of shot itself in the foot a few times and made this close, made a little bit too close for comfort. I think, the- I think Holy Cross is a really good team. I think Sonia is a really good team. Uh, Holy Cross had a shot. I mean, they threw an interception in the end zone. Like, I, they had a chance uh, right. late. They threw Ingram with the pick. And <laughs> I love Tom Brockett. Ingram makes the pick. And I don't know what he was thinking is the heat of the moment, this and this. <laughs> he dove forward out of the end zone <laughs> to the one yard line. And then Holy Cross jumped offside. So they were able to move it up to the six to kneel it out. Right. They got a little hairy there. And I was talking to Tom after the game, and I was like, oh, you know, what do you think of Ingram's interception? You know, how big was that? And he goes, oh, what? You didn't like how he dove across like he was trying to score a touchdown? It was something like that. It was very funny, but. Uh, no, I just saw you when she fell down in the end zone. He was diving like he was trying to get the first down. Uh, you know, but hey, he made a play. That was a great play. He came back, uh, competed, and made the play. I mean, we had two called back in the first half that really hurt us. Um, you know, and then we turned the ball over twice in the second half. But the reason we turned it over was Holy Cross. We played great. Uh, that's really a great high school football game. Could have gone either way. Uh, you know, that was a heavyweight battle tonight, too. Two teams really competed. A lot of kids on both sides made great plays. Um, you know, I thought in the first half, we played great D, except the first play of the game and the first play of the game and in the last minute of that drive. Um, well, they got some great players over there. I'm real proud of the way my kids competed here tonight. You know, Ansonia, I, I, are they the eighth best team in the state? I, not to me. That was way too close of a game for a team that they, you know, if they're eighth, then where's, where's Holy Cross, right? They beat Naugatuck, right? Holy Cross isn't here. So I, I don't know. I got, I, I got my question still about Ansonia. Well, I still vote them relatively high. I kind of vote them in that spot there. I don't think eight's a bad spot, considering that they're still the best team in the NVL right now. I mean, it is by the hair of their chinny-chin-chins. It is just over Holy Cross and Holy Cross just over Naugatuck. Can't wait for Thanksgiving. The good news is we might see these teams play all each other all, all over again. So uh, that's great. Number nine is Shelton. Speaking of weird poll, I guess you keep Shelton in there. Two losses. They played a tough schedule. 
Uh, I'm still a little shocked that they're in there because number 10 is uh, North Haven. As we just mentioned, Sags and the guys finally getting in there, killingly just falling out. Um, you know, they beat up on Brantford, but I'm a little shocked to see. I mean, you may quibble with Ansonia. Shelton with two losses. I, I mean, yeah, one uh, was West Haven and the other was to, to North Haven. I mean, at least put North Haven over. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you there. North Haven is ahead of Shelton in my poll. Um, but two losses by a combined points of uh, combined 14 points. Yeah. I mean, we have some we have some other team. Killingly was still in the top 10. They lost by like two touchdowns to Wyndham, who's still not showing up ahead of Killingly in this poll. <laughs> so I'm OK with having Shelton in the top 10 over some of the other things that have happened. I'm getting increasingly frustrated with our voters. Uh, I don't quite know where they're coming from. Um, on some of these, you know, I mean, the Killingly thing, just, I mean, I think Killingly still good. They still deserve votes, but like Wyndham's undefeated, you know, and Wyndham, uh, I mean, they were in a little bit of a dog fight with New London last week, but uh, I don't you know. They got some, and they got some tough games left, but they still be killing pretty, pretty convincing. Speaking of that, let's check out the top 10 poll from the New London day. We haven't done that in a few weeks because usually because Ned drops it. Oh, after we've done the podcast. Now, as you can tell, we're doing this a little later on on, a, on Monday afternoon, Monday evening now. So we actually have the day's top 10 poll. Let's take a look at that. Pretty s- similar to the writer's poll. Number one, Southington. Number two, New Canaan. Number three, Greenwich. Number four, Maloney. And then number five, West Haven, which all those teams get in kind of different first place votes. Maloney with three there, West Haven with one first place vote. Then he had number six, St. Joseph. Number seven, Hamden. And then they the paths diverge. Now you have number eight North Haven, number nine Ansonia, and then number ten Barlow, um, which I'm a little shocked at that they put Barlow in there. But you know what? I don't really have that big a problem. Did you watch Danny Shaben just absolutely obliterate New Fairfield last week? Just you know, scoring every which way and just an absolute demolishing in a game. I was convinced was going to be the best game of the night. Turns out, I wasn't even <laughs> close. Shaven absolutely just destroyed them. And, uh, I mean, I guess in that regard, not not a bad uh, not a bad number 10 pick by, by the coaches. Uh, Barlow's legit. I mean, when you run the ball like that, it's hard because if you don't fumble, you're probably not turning it over. And if you can eat clock and score... You're keeping their offense on the on the sideline, and I mean they just absolutely demolished New Fairfield. But they have a big test coming up, and by big, I mean a L school versus a double S school. That's what I mean by big matchup coming up. That's at Blue and Gold Stadium. Just for the record, Shaben ran for 32, 2, 96, and 35 yards for touchdowns in the 47-13 victory over New Fairfield, which you know. I saw Barlow against Weathersfield early in the season, and I thought they were pretty good. Did I think they're really going to beat New Fairfield by that much? No, that must mean Weathersfield's not bad either. No, uh, Weathersfield's good. Weathersfield's good. Matt McKinnon does such a good job there. Um, you know, you speak about teams that are that were just close there. I mean, how about Windsor? Windsor's lost by a combined nine points, and that includes a seven-point loss. And so, they're still get and they're getting votes in the poll, as they should be. Of <laughs> course. But they're not, uh, you know, they're not up. They're not up. Shelton's high, right? No. <laughs> oh. Shelton's benefit was that they were in the poll and they were high to start. That's usually how it works. Oh, right, right. We got to We can't 
can't drop teams that we might have been wrong about, right? That's yeah. how they do it. Yeah. Well, we, we can't drop until we that do far. It. We had them at four. We had them at one. Oh, some guys. Not us, but. Uh, I was still still kind of – I know Brantford's had it rough the last uh, – you know, the season's not been going their way. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them to hang 60-something points on them the other night. Well, was... We said it. They're, they were angry. Killingly was not happy with their loss. No, I think so. they felt like they gave one away. They're still a good team. They're still a contender in class double M. And, uh, you know, actually, let's take a look at the updated standings. Starting off at class double L, West Haven now takes over the number one spot. They're 6-0. Followed by number two, Southington, number three, Greenwich, five and one, Hamden, number four, six and oh, number five, Staples. Speaking of teams that maybe should be getting a little bit more love, Pete, than I, uh, I, they're in my top 10. They're in my top 10. Guys, pay attention. Staples, not bad. Tyler Clark with a big game. He you know, is James on pace. Within a big game. Tyler Clark is having an awesome season, other than breaking school records last week. He has 930 receiving yards so far. Uh, he's on pace for 1,550 receiving yards, which would be fifth all-time in state history. And he'd be the first 1,500-yard receiver in the state since St. Joe's Jared Malazzi did it in wow. 20. It would be the first one since Jared Malazzi in 2016. And the fifth, 1,550 would be the most since Jamelli from Southington in 2013. Tyler Clark is doing something special right now. And that's just regular season. They go to the playoffs. Those numbers go up. Well, they're almost surely going to play off. Yeah. See with these standings here. Because number six is Glassmary. You know, they they got a pretty big one this week. They got to play Southington. Uh, You know, Jack Patron had a pretty good pretty good week he's been having a pretty good year so far but glastonbury's he's got about 900 yards rushing or thereabouts he's over a thousand yeah he's over a thousand now okay but glastonbury like that schedule is not the greatest and they lost to hall which was winless at the time so i'm a little bit worried if i'm the guardians new new name uh number seven is trumbull we talked about them defense needs to work and number eight is danbury they got plenty of good games left uh tough games left so that leaves a little the door open for fairfield prep and Ridgefield, 9-10. I went up to see Crosby last week, which is the number 11 team here, against Gilbert Northwestern, who's tonic up there. Beautiful Van Wy Field. And it was a, was it a basketball game? Oh, my goodness. It's like 111 points scored. I really wanted to see what Gilbert was all about. I knew Crosby has some guys there. I like Phoebus, and then his receivers are good. Um, it's been tough, though, for Crosby defensively. Obviously, they had... Plenty of problems with uh, your boy, Freddie Camp, running all over. In fact, I missed the first two touchdowns he scored because I was late getting there because um, it's so far away from my my house in Hamden. Uh, but it was far away. So Freddie already scored two TDs. I managed to grab one uh, when I was there. But uh, defensively, that's how – I mean, Crosby plays a lot of NBL teams. Um, they're not your typical double L school like the ones above there. And after them, it's kind of a mess. So, I mean, other than the, I think it's a 10 team race right now, Pete, for, for those eight spots, you know, Danbury plays Ridgefield too. And that's going to be a huge game. Let's go over to class L where number one, St. Joseph sits at the top the field at five and one. Yeah, they're five and one, but their schedule strength, they have 190 points schedule strength, which is much more than New Canaan can get there at number two. Uh, that'll change. Obviously those two teams 
um, will play each other this week. So that's a chance to move some things around. Number three is Maloney. I don't really see them being challenged for most of the rest of the way. I mean, granted, they have Southington left, but that's only going to be one loss, and there's some other tough ones in there. But number four is Cheshire at 5-1. They play North Haven this week. That's going to be interesting because Cheshire's got a lot of tough teams left to go here as well. They're not quite out of the woods yet left out of the woods yet in, in the L standings. Naugatuck, I think, is going to be fine, even if they lose to Ansonia on Thanksgiving. Newtown's got Barlow this week. If Newtown beats Barlow, I think they're obviously going to be in. And I think, you know, I think basically they just need to have one or they, I think seven and three kind of gets you in here, to be completely honest with you. Darien could be one of those teams. They're four and two. Still some toughies left, including New Canaan, including Greenwich. And then Shelton at four and two. And their schedule is very tough. But the problem, again, with all these is that you look down the field a little bit. Who's going to catch these teams, even if they lose? Ward, which just lost to McMahon. That's going to be tough. Middletown has a chance, I guess. I, I like Middletown's chances. I think Middletown could be six and two heading into Weathersfield and Berlin. I, I'm excited. I've been keeping an eye on them. I think I think they are a team that could go seven and three, eight and uh, eight and two. I really do. Well, I mean, I saw them against Windsor, and I thought they they played right there with Windsor for the most part. So I mean, hey, you know, let, let's see what the Coach Rosick and the guys have. But uh, again, the, 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 it's it's a it's a hard road, like you just said. You know, Berlin's going to be tough, and Weathersfield is certainly tough. Um, they're going to be fighting for their own playoff races. Then you had 11 Simsbury, which I wouldn't count them out just yet. They got Hall, Newington, East Hartford, and Glastonbury. That's not terrible. Nope. I, could, I could see Simsbury possibly winning most, if not all, of those games. I agree. So, but then after that, it goes Amity, New Milford, Connor, Ludlow, Xavier. I don't think uh, those teams have much of a shot to get there. I'll be shocked. But yeah. uh, I think it's, an, again, it's an 11-team race. If you really want to look at this, like Cheshire might be vulnerable. Shelton might be wrong, vulnerable. That's about it, though. So you're looking at two spots out of the eight, which, yeah. again, is a mess. So thanks a lot, guys, <laughs> for this. Um, moving right along to class double M, which is, again, the Frankenstein division. Uh, Northwest United played Wilcox Tech for the second time. Both games count. They are atop the field right now. Uh, number two is SMSA. They're going to be pretty much in. I don't see much of a threat to them the rest of the way. Thames Rivers four again. Don't see much of a threat there. The teams you look out for North ha- North Haven is going to be playing SEC tier one schedule. Uh, is probably the most vulnerable team here if they can't keep their train going. They're very talented. I would favor them most of their games going forward, but that's going to be tough. Weathersfield, I uh, I don't know. Windsor South Windsor Brister Central. Middletown, as we mentioned, and then Newington. I think they win all those games. Maybe you throw up Middletown uh, as a TBA, but Weathersfield's probably going to get in there at 8-2. Um, then after that, you have Killingly. I don't see much of a threat to Killingly the rest of the way. Ah, Fitch, Waterford. I mean, they struggled against Wyndham. I, they got to prove it to me. All right. Fair enough. All right. I'm, I'm kind of put. I think I give, them, give me one more win there. Um, but then again, you look down who's going to catch them. Massick. Massick is in the seventh spot right now. They're four and two. Uh, Weston, Pomperog, Brookfield. I think Massick will get in at least with three losses. I don't think, let's say they lost the Newtown. I think they're still going to be in great shape. Number eight is Platt. They're four and two. They got some interesting games left. It's very interesting with Platt because I think they can beat Farmington and Ram. 
right? So that gets him to six and two. Mm-hmm. Bloomfield, good program, but Platt's a bigger school, right? Can they beat Bloomfield? Maybe. Does that set up nine and zero Maloney versus seven and two Platt on Thanksgiving mm. with a playoff spot on the line? Tell me if you've heard that before. Yeah, well, usually that's like we said that usually that's a really good game. Um, but uh, after Platt, then you have that's the eight spots. So there you go, eight spots right there, right? So who's left out? Who needs to fight for this thing? You know, North Haven, I think North Haven's got Cheshire, Hand, Prep, and Amity. Let's say they go two and two. That's still seven and three, right? Yeah. So I think North Haven's in a pretty good spot. If they can beat Fairfield Prep, they're definitely in. I think they're in at seven and three anyway. Uh, Killingly, I mean, I, do you see them losing more than no, anybody? but. It's possible. I did, we didn't think they'd lose to Wyndham. True, but Wyndham's also very good. Just a little undefeated, whereas yeah, Fitch, the other guy Fitch, is maybe not. Fitch and Waterford are 4-2. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see. It's certainly interesting to, to think about. And then uh, Weathersfield, I think, is fine. Massacre, I think, is going to be fine. I think, uh, you know, I think there's only two spots here, too, to be completely honest with you. I don't see anybody else creeping up here. I mean, Windsor's going to have to. Windsor's way down here at 15. And they're going to have to win out. They got Manchester, Enfield, South Windsor, which aren't going to help them with points. The one they got to win is Bloomfield yep. at the end of the season. So that's going to be tough for them. Now, number nine, the other team we did not talk about here is Guilford, which is uh, number nine. They got at Woodstock this weekend. They got Foreign, which is going to get them a heap, heaping pile of points. At East Haven and then at Hand, which they who they never beat. Is this the year that Guilford finally beats Hand? Could this happen? <laughs> That was a big win for Guilford last week, beating a, a, a law team that, you know, we all pegged. They are killing you on Instagram, Pete. They all pegged to the nine and out going into the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. Not good, guys. Not good. <laughs> Anyways, there's your class double M picture. Class M is, jeez. <laughs> Berlin six and L. Ram is five and one. Notre Dame number three is four and two. Law drops just to five, just down to four, five and one. ATI four and one, Rockville three and two. Uh, they lost a tough one to Granby Canton last week. Hartford Public lost a tough one to Bloomfield last week. They're number seven. Woodstock three and two. You know, again, uh, I'm looking at Notre Dame's schedule, Pete, and I know I declared that the class double, uh, class M champions, and that might have been a little premature, but because they lost, you know, to Cheshire, which is no slouch, but they got Wilbur Cross, Fairfield Prep, Shelton, and left. Potentially, Notre Dame could be five and five, and guess what? I still think they get it. Uh yeah. I mean, looking at the teams that are below them, East Lime's three and three. Bullard, I saw Bullard, Colby. They're not very good. Uh, they're at ten. Avon, Branford is two and four with some bad losses. Lyman Hall two and four. Like, uh, if Notre Dame is goes five and five, and they don't get in over Avon or bullard or east line there's something severely wrong yeah well again uh if they get in there they're still probably better than most of the teams in that division again an sec tier one team and they got a imagine Notre Dame versus law in the semifinals or something oof uh we'll see what happens there and then they get to the last two the class double s is actually not terrible barlow six and oh windham six and oh cromwell porton six and oh Four and six and zero, Valley Regional Lime five and zero. For the most part, I think all five of those teams will be in at some point. I mean, I don't see very many losses there between any of them. I know Barlow has a had a tough 
Scalable, but by beating New Fairfield, they get all those points. They beat Newtown. It's over. They'll probably be the one seed at this point. But, uh, you know, Ledger losing to NFA kind of screwed them up a little bit. But I don't even see them losing out. They got Wyndham left, yeah. And Fitch. And Fitch, but that's still three losses, yeah. right? You know, uh, Gilbert Northwest, who's a tonic, I think they get in. They got Torrington Derby, Waterbury Career, and St. Paul left. Granby Canton's got some work to do. They got to be Ellington, Morgan, Capital Prep, Coventry. Um, you know, that's not unmanageable, but certainly, uh, you know, that helped them get up a little bit. But, you know, they have Ellington in there. They play Granby Canton. So, again, you know, Waterford, whole, uh, Rocky Hill, you Sheehan. Once you get down here a little bit, you're like, I don't see any of those teams, um, you know, in the running for this. So, I guess, you know, if you really want to look at it, Class S is kind of just like all the others. And I think Class S is the same. And Sonia Hoy Cross, Woodland, New Fairfield, nothing didn't hurt that their loss that much. Uh, Bloomfield, to 4-2 and two at number 5. Seymour, 4-2, and two, they're getting back into it. Waterbury Career Academy. East Catholic, and then you're like, okay, can Waxford make a run? Can Notre Dame Fairfield make a run? Notre Dame Fairfield certainly has a chance. Bennell, New Fairfield, Weston, Pomprog left. HK with a big win over North Brantford. All of a sudden, the Cougars are making a run here. They're three and two, and they got Coggenshaw, SMSA, Coventry, Capital Prep, and Valley left. Uh, so some, some potential points there, but I'm looking down the rest of the field. Again, not a whole heck of a lot. So, um, you know, if you're in the top eight spots in any of these divisions right now, you're in a really good spot unless you're in the SEC, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we kind of saw this coming, you know, from a mile away that we'd kind of know who was going to be where at the midseason. Look, anything could happen. Some, you know, some team might lose five in a row. We don't know. But the way it looks right now, it looks kind of the majority, the top half, the top four in each division is at already least. basically locked in. Uh, yeah, I mean, into a playoff spot, yeah. Yeah, which is again, that's the shame of this. That's the shame of this because there's no competition below, you know. And then everybody, you know, you're getting in at like five, five and five. We warned against that, um, you know. Maybe that won't be the case. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. But for the most part, you know, the uh, the gloom and doom that I was screaming about in the summer, and for every week since, is <laughs> certainly uh, looks like it's coming to pass, and that's just unfortunate. Um, but you know. Again, trying to stay positive here. Hopefully, there'll be some great playoff games, I guess. I guess. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, let's uh, let's jump to our guest this week. We'll talk a little North Haven football with Tony Segnell. <laughs> Joining us on the show for the second time, although you don't know it, <laughs> is the great coach of North Haven High School, Tony Segnell. Coach, welcome back. We are recording this time. So uh, we're happy to say that unless something else happened, hope not that uh, we'll be able to get this out to your adoring public. Welcome thank to the you, meet Sean. And thank you, Pete, for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on, Coach. Yeah. Well, last time, I swear to God, it was the greatest interview we ever had. We were going to do it in two parts. We we're going to break it all down. And then I go, wait a minute. I didn't record. <laughs> and I had to text Coach Sagnella. Just I was just so I was so nervous. Like, because well, he's an amazing I mean, guy. You know? But. It's not the first time because you also did it to Scott Burrell once. I did. Two handling. Remember that? Yeah. Well, you know, wow. so that's two we'll guys from hand we'll, that we'll, I've, uh, I've we'll done. We'll do it dirty. for Dyer next. We'll uh, we'll have Dyer yeah. on and not well, record. Dyer's next. a Jersey guy now. Oh, Dyer's, that's true. He's oh, from uh, Belleville. You know, he's from where Frankie Valley is from. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I know a little bit about Jersey going to Rutgers. So that's true. Yeah. 
So Fire what what can you say? Well, what can you, you congratulations? By the way, you guys cracked the top ten for the first time this year. It's about time, I think. I mean, I thought you guys should have deserved to get in there, and we were getting people commenting like, "Where's North Haven? You beat Shel- Shelton, still in there. Where's North Haven? They just beat Shelton, and then Killingly loses the Wyndham. We got Killingly still in the poll. No, no North Haven. Uh, you know, and then I'm sure North ha- North North Haven West Haven would have a little bit of gripe too since they beat you, but. You know, congratulations, little recognitions. I mean, how, you guys, great midseason. You're you're five and one. Nice win last week. Uh, you know how, how the how the, the guys playing? Um, we're we're playing pretty good, Sean. Um, one of the, the the keys to this team right now is that there's really no ego um, on the team. We have uh, some very hardworking kids, some some very committed kids, and um, there really isn't a guy that is trying to steal that spotlight they just they want to do well every Friday night and they prepare that way and it's really been a a long process and a transformation all the way back from COVID because these seniors were I think they were sophomores yeah they were sophomores during COVID and it's we've been it seems like we've been together in one long season since then so it's been a a a lot of growth and uh, you know you mentioned moments ago Notre Dame that was a great opportunity for our team to to get checked and to uh to grow and to get better and I think we've moved far ahead from that week and um so yeah things are things are going fairly well right now last year uh, you started off 0-4 you know and, and coming off the COVID year that was I mean it's a little I mean explain to me you you start off 0-4 and then you beat Hamden which was undefeated at the time and since then you guys have been playing you got I mean you win all the rest of your games but you you played New, New Canaan tough and they were in the playoffs last year. And I remember you saying last year that if you thought you guys had another couple weeks in the season, you might've been able to squeak in there and maybe even do some damage. Now you kind of carry that over to this year. And so far, so good. What has been like this building, you know, what, what, what has been working for you guys to get to this point? Well, coming off of COVID, you know, there was a, it was a perfect storm in a couple of ways. One missing the year of football didn't help, but we also had a, a couple of small classes back to back. And, um, you know, that, that had hurt us, you know, being in tier one, you have to have all three levels of play to be competitive, to have a, you need to have a freshman JV and a varsity team. And um, we were in a, a period of time there, a stretch where we, we only had like Froshmore games. And that's a disaster in terms of trying to get kids game experience, but it's better than not playing any games. So we had gone through three or four years like that. And I don't think people knew that. Um, and then when COVID came, you know, the bottom fell out and we had to start from scratch again. So um, looking at that schedule that we had last year, uh, I think it was Shelton Cheshire, Wilton, New Canaan, um, very challenging for any team. That'd be challenging for this year's team. Um, and um we were really bad fundamentally. We were starting kids that had some of them never played. Like we were talking earlier about the, uh, the kid, Steve, he, he was a first year two-way starter. He ends up all SEC. We had a tight end outside linebacker, first year player, senior. Um, we had um, a linebacker, Jake Langer, who ended up all state. He only played one year of football prior to that. Um, then we, you know, add to that, we had Matt Dodge, who was our only returning player on the team he started three games as a sophomore in 2019 so we had a lot of growing up to do um and I think the challenge and any coach will tell you is stick to your guns and be who you are we scored one touchdown in four weeks 
there wasn't a lot of belief in what we were doing, you know, outside of the coaching staff. And I remember one of our players saying, I won't embarrass him on the air, but he said to me after the Wilton loss, he said, coach, you think we should be running tunnel screens <laughs> and a little option? And I said, you know, when I, First got into this, I was a triple option coach. I said, so uh, I said, you really don't want to, we don't want to go down that road again. Let's, just, <laughs> let's see if we can block and tackle better. And when we played New Canaan in week four, and I think Louis would tell you, you know, and I remember his exact words after the game. He said to me, you got to be happy with this. Even though we lost 21-7, he had been watching us on tape too. And he said, you have to be happy with your performance today. You can build on it. I remember him saying that to me. And um, during that bye week, I opened up two tabs and I put Hamden's base plays up on the screen and our base plays up on the screen. And I just went back and forth. And I said, you know what? We're at a different speed than Hamden is right now. Even though we're 0-4, our kids are, are moving a little differently than the Hamden kids are. And I think that was a, a testament to our schedule. And um, that's, that. you know, the old, everybody says it, iron sharpens iron and all, but that's true, you know? And I think as long as you have the other pieces in place, then you can, you can work with it. So we have we had 33 freshmen last year, which we've oh. never had more than like 21. And last year we had 33, oh. and I think 30 of them are still with us. Well. So that's a big deal. Having a very good sophomore class behind a very good junior class behind a very good senior class. That doesn't happen here very often. Usually there's a gap, you know. So right now it's lined up like that. So I think that's contributing to it. Yeah, for sure. I mean – just quickly, everyone wants you know, we love to talk about the running game, the the offense you run, but you know, I think Sean alluded to it last week on the show, you know, how well the the running attack and the defense work together. And and you 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 see it on the side where you guys have only allowed 31 points this year. Well, we are we are pretty good on D because we run well and and, and our kids are physical. And um and I think that's an interesting thing. What's what Something that I was pointed out to me recently that I didn't really notice was we start seven juniors on defense. I was like, whoa, I didn't realize how young we were uh, on that side of the ball. But, um, yeah, when you're in a program like ours where we're, you know, we're in the middle in terms of numbers, we're a medium-sized school, and um, we've earned the right to play up. And, you know, people, some people disagree with that philosophy, but – it has, it has helped us. And I think in order to do that, your philosophies have to match. You know, we, we, yeah, we do hang our hat on ball control and, um, you know, basically blocking and tackling and so on. But that does play into helping defensively because it limits possessions and, you know, it, it does work in our, in our favor at times. Um, one of the, interesting statistics that or it's not really a statistic but something that is helping us out this year also is we have a kicker and a punter that yeah. change shield field position i mean declan finkel is a senior who came out for the first time he kicks the ball into the end zone on kickoffs i can remember playing darian in 2014 i think you were at the game with us and they would kick off to you and you had to start in the 20 then you had to go 80 yards against that defense you know and then if you punted you punted it to a pretty good offense. And um, that was such a weapon. And when you play New Canaan years ago, the same thing that 
you know, they were pinning you with the kicking game. And right now, um, I'll cite one punt in the Notre Dame game. Our first series of offense didn't go very well, so we ended up snapping the ball over the center, and and Adam Pandolfi ran back and fell on it on the 10-yard line. He was our punter. So he punts the ball from the 10 to the opposite 20. A 70-yard shift. You know, we go from backing up to backing them up. I mean, that's, you know, that's an incredible statistic when you look at it. And that's um, also been in our favor that we can, we can, we, and our, we're kind of built to run on the kicking game and that helps us, you know, so. Who's been really, you know, kind of standard. I mean, I know it's like a high, like I said it last week, it's like a hive mind. You got to be a hive mind at North Haven, especially, you know, in football in general, you got to, but like who's been, I mean, I, I mentioned, you know, Caravis, uh, Jeff, and, uh, you know, you mentioned Adam, uh, those two guys seem to be really, you know, look like they have their fingerprints all over that Shelton win. But I mean, obviously you have a few guys got to block and tackle up front too, but, you know, give me some of the guys who've been real leaders. Uh, well, I'll tell so you far. one thing that is, is really, I think unique about, about our kids is that they're all committed to the, um, the fundamentals of the game. So they all kind of get treated like offensive linemen uh, on Monday, you know, yeah. Monday's an offensive day and, and our backs embrace it. So if you look at us um, in, in our run game, uh, it's not just the linemen, although we, we could talk about them a little bit, but our, our, our backs block, you know, Carvis and Pandolfi will get after you when it's their turn as well. Will um, dose and um, Thompson who are our fullbacks. And then you have uh, Brian Lastimersky and, Danny Thomas and uh, Matteo Riano, our wings, um, they'll block as fiercely as as anybody on the team, um, and our and that goes to, goes for our tight ends as well. We have a kid, Jaden Roby, who came from Notre Dame of Fairfield uh, three years ago, and he walks in and he says, "I'm a quarterback," and you know he's like five nine, about one eighty, <laughs> and I say, "Well, you know, the quarterback in a single wing is really a blocking back." He rejected that notion. He didn't <laughs> want to be a part of that. And he does throw a pretty good ball. But um, to get on the field for us, because, um, you know, we are deep in some spots, he's embraced being a tight end, and he loves it. And he's an inside linebacker. And, you know, so kids like that. Uh, Chase Mangino uh, playing tight end for us also, blocking like a pulling guard. And then, of course, our blocking back, you know, that's what makes the offense go is Sal DeMeo, who's a uh, – another one that has really embraced his role. So I think that what, what, what is special is when you watch all of them get after it, not just the linemen. I mean, you expect when you see a team run the ball that the linemen are going to get after it. But our, our skill takes as much pride in being a part of that as, as anybody else does. How many, how many, you know, it's established now, single wing, North Haven, you know, you've been doing it for a what? I mean, 15 years, maybe. Um, maybe we introduced it as a short yardage offense in 2006. We were in the pistol running the spread. Uh, yep, with everybody option. else. And um, we, we, we needed a short yardage offense and I didn't want to get back under center. So this kind of made sense. So we started off just running a couple of things and it, it grew. And, and I noticed that, Number one, our kids liked it, and it was easy to teach because it really is basic. And um, after, I don't know if you remember Mike Friello, but that was in 2008. After Mike Friello graduated, we didn't have an option quarterback in the program. 
Yeah. And we were struggling to, to get our youth program on board because if, if you run a triple option, the ball's going to be on the ground a lot in the beginning. <laughs> and that's discouraging, especially for guys that are part-timers. You know, their dads, they come down a couple yeah. nights a week and they want to help out. And they, they don't want to fail. And if the ball's on the ground, they're like, this is silly, throw it away. So trying to get them to buy in was difficult. Yeah. So when we went to the single wing and I was, I remember walking out of a meeting and thinking about it. And I said, this is what we have to do. We got to go full time because it, it's the four back in the eight hole. You know what I mean? It's that basic it's shoulder blocking in a lot of cases, which is safer and it's easier for youth kids because, you know, if you know anything about zone blocking, you have these giant humans that can squat and put their, you know, their butt to their ankles and they have huge hands and they put one hand on a guy's chest and the other one puts a hand on that chest and they walk them off the line of scrimmage and they all look the same. That's the NFL and the colleges. I don't know how you get a tall, skinny, you know, nine-year-old and a short squatty nine-year-old to do that, you know, because they're <laughs> built so different. So I felt that fundamentally this was an offense that fit all the levels of play. And, and it's progressive enough that, you know, you can do other things with it if you want to. So it's, that's been a big help in, in getting everybody aligned. Well, how many, how many, what was your question? I think well, the, well, the question really is, is like, you know, you've well established now. So if you're going to go play football for North Haven, you know, that's what you're doing on, but like how long, I mean, how many guys have you lost? Like, you know what? I'm out of here. I want to throw. I want to catch. Well, I, I don't around. know. I mean, we, we had Jack Steinman and I told Jack, if you work at it, you know, we'll build around you. But he had to embrace that. And when Jack came out of middle school, he thought he was going to play basketball for Duke. So right. I could never get Jack around here. He was always in summer basketball and always doing this and always doing that. He ends up going to Hartwick as a tight end and then transfers to University of New Haven as a tight end. And he has a good career. But for us, he threw the ball quite a bit. Yeah. So we'll, we'll adapt to what we have. We have a kid in our program right now, um, a freshman who's a true pocket passer. And he should not be running the off-tackle power play. There's no doubt about it. He should not be doing that. But he can throw a nice ball. So he's going to get his chance. You know, as we go forward, we're going to have to evaluate his abilities and, and the rest of the players around him and make some type of adaptation to his skill set. And I, so maybe we lose kids. I've never had a kid say to me, I won't play for you because of your offense. I know there's criticism. I know that's everywhere. Yeah. You no, know? um, there's nothing you can really do about it. So, but it works for you guys. I mean, again, but you guys have a Steinman or, you know, and maybe even a few receivers or you get a Montana in there and you guys can be very good as we see. I mean, obviously this year, um, but especially if you get that passer in there, the kid who can kind of sling it and the defense has got to stay honest. Oh yeah. They don't, they're not going to just stack the box on you every time. Right. Like, you know, you knew Cannon found that out. All of a sudden, right. you guys are slinging the ball downfield in the state championship right. game. The advantage is that, you know, they, they really have to commit to defending us. You know, that's what we force them to do. And that takes time, uh, you know, during the week. So when you get into the game, they're going to be in a fairly, not say predictable, but they're going to tip their hand off to what they're doing because they don't have a whole lot of time in the week to defend us because they don't face it. They didn't face it last week and they're not facing it this week. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you know, it limits what you can do. And, and therefore, it makes some things more predictable. So the passing game is sometimes easier for us than it might be for a spread team because we're not going to see five under man. We're not going to see robber coverage and things like that because you're committing those extra people to the line of scrimmage. So, is it, um, is it tough? I mean, I, you, you play Shelton, you play all these teams all, and they know the coaching staffs know what they're up against. Is it just that they can't get their? Sometimes they can't get their kids to. The, I mean, you still, guys still got to block and tackle and all that kind of stuff. But like, even though they know it's coming, they still struggle with defending you guys. Uh, I mean, maybe it's not just that's just the dedication of the kids to the system. Well, and maybe yeah, I, I I couldn't speak for our opponents. I I do know that there's a lot of respect that we all have for each other. Especially, I think the SEC is kind of cool like that. I don't think there's anybody that you know, thumbs their nose at the next guy or the next program. I think we all have a lot of respect for each other. And, um, you know, and I learned that now that I'm an older guy, I learned that from like the Philippones and the McCarthy's and the Marcucci's and those guys. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember them welcoming me in as a young coach and, uh, and that's important. Um, and you're the dean kids, now. What's that? You're the dean of the SEC coach. I, know, I can't right? believe it. Pete? Yeah. But our, our kids do, our kids, I think the thing is, Sean, that, you know, it's not a gadget. It, it's certainly not. It's not trickery. We block and we tackle. We work hard at that. We're committed to that. We get our kids in shape. They embrace that, that whole offseason process. And I think having the same system in place at multiple levels takes away a lot of thinking and although it might look like the same thing is happening play after play, you're able to make subtle adjustments as you go through a game um, because the kids can provide you with that feedback. They can come out of the game and tell you what's happening. And you can use that information to make an adjustment, even though it may not be visible. You know, we're more most of the time we're in unbalanced right, tight end wing right. And it looks like we're in the same formation all the time. And we are a lot. And there's stress in that. You know, some people believe the opposite. Get in multiple things and, and, and run everything out of that. And some people say that being in one thing and running everything out of that is stressful too. So it's a philosophy that, you know, we embrace and it's been successful. So. I'm sure for coaches, though, they play Friday and Saturday and then they have North Haven on the schedule and they're like, we have three days to figure this out for one year. And then a year from now, we'll try it again. I mean, the three days to, to figure out how to defend against a system that you don't see often, though, has to be a challenge. I, I would think so. I mean, I, I know if I had to defend it, it would bother me, too. Um, although we, we might have a slight advantage because at least our kids see it and they can they can replicate it. You know what I mean? Like our second team can run it yeah. as fast as our first team against our defense if we had to. But, um, you know, that's that all plays into it. You know, when you have – Three and a half hours a week, really, is what you have in practice time to get ready for just, say, offense or defense. That's not including the kicking game and, you know, your films and your meeting. And let's face it, you can't keep those kids on the field for three, four hours a day. That would be that would work against you. So it does help. I, I, I would certainly you know believe that um, the fact that we are unique. And, and and we're not running the spread like everybody else. It's a different animal when you have to face us. You, you got know, Cheshire, so. your old thing. You used to play, you used to play him at Thanksgiving, remember? Well, that? not when I was here. That 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 yeah. dissolved when I was in North Brantford, I think. Um, right. 
But yeah, our, we there's always been a, a rivalry between the two towns, between all the other sports and the youth programs. So our our youth football players play against Cheshire every year. So um, yeah, this is a this is a big one. You know, the, even with the records being what they are, um, there's a lot of respect for both programs, and and there's a lot of history between the kids. So I, I think it'll be. Um, an exciting night. Well, I'm, I'm sitting here looking at it. So now this is the time you start looking at playoff points. You know, I've been doing that a lot. And, uh, you know, they're in, I mean, uh, you know, there are a lot of teams in class. O that don't have much of a, but they're, they're in L and they need every point they can get in that division. And looking at yours, and you mentioned it to Jeff Jacobs in a column. He did it last week. You guys need everything you can get there. Yeah. And you said, uh, you know, and you're playing an SEC tier one schedule and all these teams, they're not playing the type of schedule you are. So you guys are like, it's like you got a handicap here. <laughs> so. Well, you know, we, we really just, we understand that. And our, our kids know that there's never going to be any belly aching or excuses being said. We're going to, you know, do what we can do and hopefully get there. Like I said to Jeff, if uh, we get in, regardless of what seed we've earned it. And, um, and I think that's, you know, and I think our kids will feel good about um, being prepared to play it. You know, you can thank our our league for that. You know, they, they got us ready. So I'm not complaining about that at all. That's a that's a good thing. And, yeah, the risk is that, you know, maybe in another class you could get in with seven wins and probably in here you're, you're going to jeopardize it with two losses. You're going to make it very challenging. Um, so what, we're not what, really worrying about does it. Does something need to happen here? I mean, I know it go. I don't. And again, I keep telling people I, I hate complaining about. You this. literally say this every episode. Every I don't want to complain, and then you complain about it. But I see. <laughs> I don't know what the playing. answer is because I'm a realist, and I know that the only way to do it is is to get rid of Thanksgiving. Is it and though? I well, how are we going to play till January? I. No, or you I don't think last we need games to, the season. I, I think, with Coach, I think what this the expansion has made abundantly clear is I don't think there is enough teams that are good enough to be in a staple. I mean, do you need to? Some of these teams they play six, they they play six nobodies, and they go, "Hey, we're we're there. We should be a playoff team." And I'm saying, like, no, the three or four games you lost, you got obliterated. I don't think yeah. you know, it's belong. I so I don't even think there's a that my my big argument is I don't think there's enough good teams. Well, I say this. I say this based on our experience last year. You know, the fact that there were four divisions and we were in M last year mm -hmm. and we didn't play an M on our schedule. But when you look at the end of the season, the schedule got us ready. So here we are five and five and we can't get in. But if there was one more round, we're in. And I thought I thought that we compete last year. Uh, I'm not taking anything away from anyone else who was in it, but I know we would have belonged. If you saw us play in round one, you wouldn't have said, what's that five and five school doing there? Yeah. You, know, you would have said, oh boy, you know. Well, I don't so, have a problem with that so much, but if you were playing those teams for a playoff spot, but you're an M, that, that, which is, it's it's different. The state doesn't go by the way the league does. And yeah. it's, ah, I don't know what I know. Other than change, someone's got to change, Coach. I've been hearing these arguments. That's above my pay grade. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I understand the arguments, but I know that you have pockets of talent. You have, or I should say populations. You have the New Haven County with yeah. a lot of schools. You have the Fairfield County with a lot of schools. Yeah. And then you start spreading out into other parts of the state. And, you know, I don't know. Can you, with the bus crisis and everything, could a team yeah. like, say, oh. Killingly drive down to the SEC four times, five times a year? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. You know, I don't, 
I don't think so. I think yeah, I think you need to play your reach. I think we need to get back to that playing more. I mean, I think the SEC's done that here. I know you complained about it last year. We didn't get it published, but you we were on George Demand's show. And you were like, why don't I play this? And then, but the SEC actually they went back to you play. Well, the coaches wanted to. You know, they, they the only question I remember answering and doesn't mean there weren't more but i remember they asked do you want to play every team in your division or in your tier and we're like absolutely i mean how like prep was real good last year right yeah but were they the tier one champs they didn't play us you know so no offense to prep but they didn't play everybody we didn't play everybody so that didn't make any sense to me that we're losing that feel of the league because we're and, and don't get me wrong i loved going down to see Lou Marinelli and go to New Canaan. I was excited to bring our team down there, but to play four out of league games and then not play everybody in your division just didn't make sense yeah. to me. So, um, you know, they listened. I'll give them that. They yeah. listened. And, the, no, and the, all the coaches were unanimous, as far as I know, that in our tier anyway, that we all wanted to play each other. You know, at least then you'll at the end of this season, you can say, hey, so and so's the champion of tier one because. It's it's going to be mathematical. You'll see it. You know, maybe the state needs to get because the CCC just did power rankings and so did the, the NVL. You know, NVL did it. You know, why don't we just like create three or four divisions of power rankings and, you know, wherever you will have relegation and stuff. Like that. Yeah. yeah, well, here's the problem. Who's going to be in charge of that? Who's yeah, going to be who's going to be the person I'll who be doesn't right. go on with any bias? Right. Put Matt Glass in charge of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Well, Coach, uh, Sean mentioned you being the dean of the SEC coaches, and I believe you're now the longest tenured coach at North Haven. I am. I think I surpassed. So that's another mantle. That's another crown. Yeah, it's another crown you have to wear with his retirement. Yeah. Do you you feel all this pressure? No, you know, honestly, (laughs) I get asked every year, how many more are you going to do? It's always been one with me. Like, I'm going to go this year and – We'll see how it goes because I understand what it takes and, um, you know, how much energy is required. And I want to make sure that the kids get that energy from me because they're entitled to that. Um, Well, I think you're only, I think you're only like, I don't know, like 40 years away from catching up to DeMeo. No, that'll never happen. I can't (laughs) tell you that. But but I, I, I'm enjoying it right now. And a lot of that has to do with the, 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 the players on the team. I mean, they are just, they're really fun. They are really fun and they, they make mistakes, but they learn and they're, and they're like, Oh, sorry. They're like Chris Farley, you know, like, he's like, yeah. Oh, stupid. Oh, you know, and then they <laughs> yeah. learn it and then they go on and they, and they get better from it. And, you know, that's, that's really, if you're going to spend this much time doing what we all do, you want to enjoy that part because the head coaching job doesn't always have a lot of fun in it in a lot of the other things that we have to do every day. So the, the, the team has made it really enjoyable. So. B got one more question here for coach or. Well, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to, to touch on, uh, we talked about it before the show, but the, the, obviously the 1987 uh, NFL season, you were on the, uh, the Washington uh, football team. Yeah. Um, and a couple of things. So I watched a documentary and then I checked your 
football pro reference page because I love that kind of stuff. I love they that only, page. They only got you with one sack. I'm pretty no, sure I, I saw two. two. No, I had two. You know how I know I had two? Because I got paid for them because there was bonus money. <laughs> so I got the bonus money. I know that. So why it didn't get recorded, I don't know. Not that it matters. It's not I'm not going to Canton. So I don't think it I don't think Reggie White has to worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I, you know what I think I'm gonna send an email because right here it says one sack, but I swear I saw two. I think this is an official NFL stat, though. I think the NFL doesn't get Well, maybe I file hopped in. I don't know. But I got I definitely got paid by Joe Gibbs for two sacks. I know that. But that doesn't matter. Um, yeah. That was kind of cool, all those little incentives. But uh, yeah. if, and if then, you haven't seen it, check it out. Yeah, yeah it's a great documentary. It, I honestly, I think it was called the year of the scab. Yeah, I could be yeah. correct. No, that's the yeah, name that's of it. Bad. Yeah. When they lied to us when they were making it, they said uh, we were going to call it the fall of 87. They tried to downplay that word. Yeah. A sensitive I, word. Yep. And then I called out the director on that when it came out. I said, John, why? I thought you said that you weren't going to use that word. And he goes, you have to. He goes, it's it, it's what it was. And I'm like, you're right. But. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't want to use it, Sean. You, you kind of led me right into it. because yeah, no, right. I'm, I'm, I'm over That's what that. they called them back yeah. then. No, you know, I know. And I get, and, yeah, when you look at unions and all, that's a word. And it's, but, you know, here's the deal. And it's how I look at it. So I had two opportunities, one with the Redskins in 86, one with the Jets in 87. And that was my life dream. And I put everything I had into it at the time and it didn't work out. And I was moving on, you know, I was, I was okay. This is it. And so for that time in my life, I wanted to be those guys. You know what I mean? I wanted to be Dexter Manley and Daryl Grant and Dave Butts and Dean Hamill and all Charles Mann, those guys. And for a short period of time, I was with them and in competing with them and getting to know them and, you know, traveling and practicing and playing with them and so on. Um, what hurt me was when I crossed over the line to take advantage of the only opportunity that I had was to see, I didn't expect that. I didn't really, I must've been oblivious. My wife would say she could see that, but I got in the car and drove down there because of the money. That's really all why I asked Charlie Cashley how much. And he told me, I said, okay, I'll be there when you want me. And um, when I got there, I didn't realize how crazy the environment was. So that, that bothered me and you get sensitive to that. And yeah, the media jumps on the players, the veteran players side and everybody vilified us. And honestly, you know, you put it in the back of your head and you move on 30 years later when they do the film and they expose all the stuff that was going on in the background. I wasn't aware of that. I just knew my story and I knew yeah. what the guy next to me on the bus riding back and forth to practice, what his story was. Um, when I saw that, um, it was really the owners that were manipulating. Yep. They were the villains in the whole yeah. thing. Yes, yes, they were. And, and, yes. and um, you know, like when it, like even with the ring, like I didn't never felt I was entitled to anything. Um, but when I heard that they gave rings to all these other people that worked for your organization, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Didn't we work for you? Didn't yeah. we serve a purpose for you? Did you beat um, the Cowboys on Monday night football? Right, and we, you know, and I put my hand in the dirt for a month and, yeah. and, 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 and put my, my health in harm's way and so on. So then I started to look at it differently. But the thing that made me the happiest was, well, two things. The first was the process of being a part of the film making there was three or four occasions where we were brought back together for 
different reasons. And that was cool because we didn't have cell phones in 87. So I left DC without any contacts. I didn't know anybody or keep up with anybody. So this brought us back from being apart for 30 years. And that was real cool. Now I got a phone with a whole bunch of 87 Redskins on the phone now. And that's kind of neat. And we stay in touch. The other thing that meant the most to me really was when I saw the film for the very first time and they invited us all back to, they released it at the Tribeca Film Festival Mm -hmm. in New York. um, And they brought us in together to watch it. And that was really cool because I got to see the, the guys that, were mad at us 30 years ago, like the Manleys and the, um, the William, Doug Williams and Jeff Bostick and uh, R.C. Thielman. I'm trying to think of all the guys um, that were upset with us, Mark May and all those guys. To listen to them kind of acknowledge our performance and our con- contribution to their cause and to welcome us in. And now we ha- I've been invited back to um, – events and things now now we're back we're included in it and it's weird to kind of get in it that way because that was never my goal my goal my dream was to play for 10 years and you know it didn't work out okay fine let me move on i don't think that i missed my calling i kind of think this there are nfl players who can play a whole career and not kind of have the unique experience that you have in NFL history. It's kind of interesting in that yeah. regard. It's ironic I mean, it, in that regard. A lot happened in a very short period of time and it was life-changing. It really was. And, um, and I'm, I'm glad I did it, but even it's, it's funny. Like you just were conditioned not to talk about it. Yeah. So, so Pete, I get your trepidation here because even my son, when I took him with me to the Tribeca film festival on the train ride to New York, he says to me, so dad, what was it like? Like I never even told him, you know, like, and I'm like, okay. I said, well, let me tell you. I said, it wasn't fun. The first week it was highly competitive, which I didn't think it would be, but the guys that were there that were trying to extend their careers were fighting for their lives. I was looking at it like, Hey, I get to go make some money and play football again. And I don't have to go do my other job. Like that's how honestly I was looking at it. And then when I got there, I was like, uh oh, I better buckle up or I'm going to get cut from this. And I didn't want to get cut as a replacement player. That would have been yeah. the all time for me anyway. Right. I couldn't take one more disappointment like that. So, um, you know, I got, I had to buckle down and I wasn't really in top shape. Whereas I had always prided myself at being in top shape. So that was weird. It was the whole thing was weird, but it was fun. It was yeah, really, it was really it was really interesting because obviously there was a player from Staples on the yeah, team Skip as well, Lane, Skip yeah. Lane, which yeah. I he popped up on a thing. It's like Westport. I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah. So I start looking at him. And but his I dad have... was a high school football coach. Yeah, Paul. Oh, Lane. really? Yeah. Oh, the, wow. the field's named after. How did I yeah. not put that together? Oh, yeah. Right. And Mark Carlson, who was the uh, he was our our um, I want to say our left tackle or no, right tackle. I forget. Left that. tackle. Left tackle. Yeah, I Mark Carlson. Came out of uh, Morgan, out of Clinton, and he went oh, to wow. BU and he played a couple years at BU and then transferred to Southern and finished at Southern. Go out. Um, so there was three Connecticut guys. Wow. On on that team, if you can imagine that. That's crazy. And then just one more, and this is kind of more of a fun one. Have you ever seen the movie The Replacements? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. So, loosely, like, loosely, are you? Are you? Yes, it's not a fan. Very huh? loosely. loosely based. Well, because they took every story 
that happened and every team and put it and kind of rolled it together to make like a movie. And I understand it. But like, for example, we the, the cheerleaders didn't practice at the facility we were yeah. at. Um, as a matter of fact, I can remember the year before uh, being at a function, a team function during training camp, and the cheerleaders were there for the media, and we were strictly, all, you know, you know, you had to can't stay talk away. To them. Yeah. Hands off. Can't talk, can't touch, can't go near them. And um, I remember that. So I, in the movie, I, I do remember they had what? They had like strippers or something doing tryouts right in front yeah. of the players. And the, no, it was the experience was just like I remember it being in 86. Um, Cause I broke training camp with them in 86 and I got back to the facility and I was going through regular days with them before they released me in 86. So I, it was the same thing. It was meetings all day, break for lunch meetings, break for practice, you know, that kind of like a nine to five job is really what it is. Yeah. Uh, very so, little contact during the week. Um, you know, but, but playing on Sunday, it was like, woohoo, like it dialed right up. It was, Pretty intense. So Keanu Reeves is not based, you know, Keanu, you're not uh, Shane Falco. No, well, I was a defensive lineman. No, I know. So you were, so you were Bateman. You would be Bateman. You'd be John Favreau's character, right? Well, I forget now who was who. (laughs) He uh, was the uh, he was the linebacker. I I prefer to be. I prefer to be anonymous. Or as uh, Uh, what was Kevin Costner's line? I'm the player to be named uh, later or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, if if, okay, so then if they were going to do a movie based on it, like an actual movie adaptation what actor would play you in a film <laughs> long. <laughs> i don't know i'm sure you could get chris long to do i would it. hope he's, that he's nobody young would, i would hope that look i had a very humble experience i don't i was the, not not at any means would they put me in in a movie uh, but the story i thought was really outstanding when you think about it you know we absolutely we came from different walks of life. There was guys like myself that had been in training camps and fell short. There were guys that had played three or four years that were cut. There were guys that um, came over from, say, the USFL or Canadian football. Um, there was so many different uh, stories, you know, like Tony Robinson getting out of jail to play. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the thing that I think Joe Gibbs did a great job of was he kept both teams apart and made them both you know, become stronger as a result. So as the strike inevitably started to crumble and people started to cross over the line, he kept our team protected from that. And, um, and, and I think that brought us closer together. And, um, you know, the games that we played, you know, finishing on Monday night down in Dallas against that team with so many guys crossing and so many Hall of Famers, you know, that's the ultimate underdog story when you think about it. Did you watch the Super Bowl that year? Did you like have a big? Oh party yeah, I watched it with my brother Peter, who was a Washington Redskin fan before I I signed with them, and we went down in the basement. Here's what the deal was: I had money on the game, not that I bet, but I had nine thousand dollars if they win, if they lose, and eighteen thousand dollars if they win. That's what the contract guaranteed oh, us. Oh. Yeah, the contract guaranteed us that. And Joe Gibbs told us that right before we played Dallas, like during that week of preparation, he said, he goes, look, this is your third game. You are now entitled to playoff money. And he, and he mapped out each 
game how much we would get. So I knew when they won the NFC championship game that I was guaranteed 9,000. I think I made nine in the NFC championship Mm. game. I was guaranteed another nine. And if they won, I was going to get 18. So we're watching the game and it's 10, nothing. And they're, and they're talking, well, no team has ever come back from a 10, nothing deficit. And I'm just kind of sitting there like, all right, well, 9,000, that's better than nothing. And then all of a sudden that second quarter happens. Yeah. And I just remember dancing around the room with my brother Peter and high fiving. <laughs> and they just kept piling it on. Yeah, he just it threw was, it. yeah, they could not stop really, it. Really, it was a really just a crazy thing. And it, it's and again to have it go away for 30 years. And then you'll remember here's I get the phone call. You remember when we did the spring brawl for Matthew Jakes? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that hit like that went viral when we gave him the ball and he ran yeah. the ball for a touchdown. So that summer it had, someone had put it on good morning America and it made it uh, all the way to New York. And um, so we're in training camp and that's with Ethan Sarasi and that group, uh, Mike Holleran and, and those guys. And um, my phone rings and it's the guy, John Dorsey from the 30 for 30. And I thought he was calling about that. I said, holy cow, ESPN wants to do a story on our spring brawl. That's what I thought he wanted. And then he mentions the 87 strike. And I'm like, uh, uh, I mean, I practice. I can't talk to you. He's like, well, oh, don't hang up. He goes, can, can I call you tomorrow? And that's how it got kind of started that the next day I talked to him. And here's the thing. John Dorsey was at the game on Monday night. He was a 16 year old high school student who went to the game and got inspired by that performance Wow! and went on, you know, 30 years later and made the film. So that was also kind of cool. I, uh, before we go, (laughs) we could go on and on and on before you go. I think Brad Garrett would be the guy I would pick to play you from everybody loves Raymond. Everyone loves Raymond's brother. That's the big, big tall guy. Do I have to touch my chin when I eat? No, no, <laughs> that guy. I think that guy would be a perfect sag now. Yeah, but he but, 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 but Coach doesn't talk. You know, Raymond. He no, no, but like they, he plays a character there. You've seen him in other characters. Yes, I have. Well, He'd be fine. Oh, man, we could go on all day, Coach. I mean, you were, I mean, we could uh, I, no, I, you know, have our own show. I appreciate our own weekly giving, show. Uh, our program the time, and uh, I hope that we don't get cursed by it. You know, let's keep our our focus on what has to get done. Yeah, I don't know what the record is for guys who've been on. I mean, I know Drury won after he was on. So did so did Frederick. Chad Neal did lost. So. Frederick won. Frederick yeah. won. Well, you know, I, I'm not a big believer in all that stuff. We got to play well. Cheshire's a, an outstanding challenge for us, and um, it's oh. it's exciting. And this is why you want to be in the in the business to get these opportunities, as I'm sure they feel the same way and. So it'll, it'll, it's always fun to play there, too. I like that place. Yeah. Oh, the McClary Complex. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's got great atmosphere. You know? yeah. It's a great one. So, so oh. we'll see and, what happens. And co- coach's records are two and two. Oh, who's going on the show? 500. Uh, oh. Drury and Frederick won. Anderson and Neil lost. Oh, okay. So you're about to break the tie. So maybe you'll get into – oh, so 500 will get you into the what? The the Class M playoffs? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, all right, coach. Well, you've taken up plenty of your time. And yes, you've thank you so much. I was I was at some point I was going to bring up Coach DeLeon, who who died last uh, this. Yeah. Early. Yeah. Good. But you guy. played got for a, he, he grabbed you out of hand. Right. My phone. Good man. You know, a lot of there's a there's a lot of him in in uh, what we do here. Um, and uh, I was very, very blessed 
I mean, we could go on for another yeah. hour stories about him, but yeah, I was, uh, I was very lucky. I remember when I signed with Rutgers, he recruited me, he showed up with a box of donuts. <laughs> oh, that would, that would win me over. Yeah, that was about Did it. Did he bring any Sally's to you? No, I didn't. He was, uh, but I had, um, I had him over for, you know, a couple of years ago when he was still coaching up in the area. I think he was at Temple and, um, I got to have him over my house for an afternoon and he was, you know, just to wrangle him and get him to sit down for a few hours. Uh, was was tough, but I surprised him with um, some old teammates that that flew in to Connecticut to to see oh, him. Rutgers. Yeah, they wanted they needed closure. They needed to talk to him because you know in the college business is cutthroat, and they got canned after my sophomore year. And you know you don't know that as a coach as a player. One day you pick up the paper and your coaches aren't there anymore. Yeah. So some of these guys never had closure with them. They never got to tell him what he meant to them. And um, they've gone on to be very successful in other walks of life. And it was cool to sit at my kitchen table and look at his face when they sat in front of him and, and thanked him. You know, like that was really, really special. I've had the pr privilege of, of seeing him over the years through all the coaching clinics and, and all the other places. Um, so it was uh, I had that opportunity for him to, to see these guys and hear that. I think that that's. You know, ultimately, that's the most that's the biggest reward. Well, I'm that's sorry right. I didn't call you for his the story. Oh, I that's all right. To, I talked to Paul Pasqualoni. I talked to Marcy. Oh, no, no. There's a he has connection. a connection with so many people. I was yeah. not offended at all. I was I was honored coach that I got to cover his teams at Syracuse, him and Paul right. when they're in their glory days, you know, mm -hmm. McNabb and those guys. And I remember I always tell this story. I remember being I actually got in the elevator with him and Kevin Rogers and all those guys during the halftime of of the of a, we're getting their, their butts handed to him on national TV and at, at Carter Finley Stadium at NC State. I just remember just the tension and the and he was just sitting there just exhaling and shaking his head, looking at the floor. And I'm like, what am I doing in this elevator? Yeah, <laughs> a, lot, nice. a lot of pressure. But yeah, but I you know it's an honor to to have coached that you know to have uh, to have covered them. So um, anyway, we could again we could go on all day, and I appreciate you coming on, give us some time. But uh, great stories, coach, as always, and go get them on on uh on friday night and uh you know we'll see where it happens in class double m i think you got a good shot but you gotta win this game obviously to, yeah, to help you get there all right guys well thank you so much all right thank, thank you so much this coach. Time, so yes and and it's recorded we really appreciate it that so pete that was tony sagdella again it, i don't know if it was as good as the, the last year interview that we didn't record but that one we just recorded was really good long but I'm sure a lot of you guys stuck he, for that one. Yeah, I, it's well worth it. I, I think I'll say, you know, we should probably say it at the top of the show as well. But the interview is well worth it. I mean, this is a guy just so much history and information. And he's one of the best. He's one of the best in high school football. In yeah, I mean, he's been, you know, he's just had it. He's been in every level. Yeah. You know what I mean, he played college ball at Rutgers and D1. He played in the NFL. He also has a unique place in NFL history. And now he's got a unique team and a unique program, North Haven, like before he got there. And it took him years to get there. But uh, then they then they've fallen into this, uh, the, the single wing. Now they're unique. They went they've been to the state championship game. And I'm telling you what, I didn't even bring it up to him. They get in there, man. It is. It is yeah, it's going to be tough. Don't jinx tough him. Don't jinx him. No, no, I'm not going to jinx him. <laughs> but listen, there's some tough teams in, in double M for sure. So, um, you know, but. If like Windsor gets in there or something, but they will be a tough out and that, you know, 
it'll be a team that'll be really tough to beat in, in double M. So Pete, uh, <laughs> we got to get out of here, but uh, what's going on with the PD pages pick a podcast coming up on Thursday morning. What do we got? We got Glastonbury at Southington. Glastonbury is five and one. Southington six and zero. Oh. Then we got Quinnebog Valley, who's five and one. They're going to play the defending CTC champs, Sheeny Tech, who's four and two. Then we're going up the ECC. Wyndham on the board again. They're six and zero. Oh. They're going to Waterford. The Lancers are four and two. Then down to the FCAC St. Joe's and their five and one record. Go to. New Canaan to play the 6-0 Rams. Then in the NVL, we got Gilbert Northwestern and Housatonic going to Torrington. This is what I like to call the Register Citizen Bowl. When I was at the Register Citizen, I got to cover both of these teams. Now that Gilbert's in the NVL, they get the crossover. Love it. Pequot, we got Valley Regional, who's 5-0. Big surprise. Great for that program. They're going up against Cromwell Portland, who is 6-0. And the Pequot champs, Class L uh, reigning champs. SEC, Coach Jagnello. And his Nighthawks are 5-1. and one. They're going to Cheshire to play Don Drust and the 5-1 and one Rams. Then in the SWC, Barlow's back on the board. Another great game for the 6-0 and oh Falcons. This time, they're going to Newtown to play the 5-1 and one Nighthawks. We got Wilton, Richfield. Wilton 5-2, and two, Richfield 3-3. Three and three. This game is such a great rivalry. Last year, Wilton beat them for the first time since I was like in kindergarten. Uh, so that one's a great one. And then the last game on the board, we got Greenwich 5-1. and one. They're going to Darien on Saturday afternoon to play the 4-1 and one resurgent Blue Wave. Yeah, that's a great, another great slate of games. Valley Regional coaches will be very happy to hear that they are finally on the Pickums podcast. They'll be very, they're very excited. We're going to be like, this week? How about this week? Yeah, well, I picked them a bunch last year and they kind of failed us. So. Well, you know, they got to, oh, they got to, yeah, they got to play their way back into it. So now they got yeah. a big one this week in the peak lot. Obviously, that's a big one. So look forward to that. With all that said, let's get out of here, Pete. For people, I'm sure Patrick Foley. This has been the Meat Brown Ring Game Pass. Love you all. Dude. 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 Dude.